All right, time for another quick take with the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here. I'm one of the hosts of the show, and we're going to revisit an episode with Heather Dreves. She is the Director of Funding and Fund Management with Secured Investment Corporation out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And during this episode, Heather explained private lending very well. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, please listen to this quick take because it'll really explain to you um, what accredited investing means if you are an accredited investor, if you're non-accredited, boy, that's really difficult to say multiple times in a row. Um, and if you're looking to diversify your investments beyond any active investments that you might have that you're managing yourself, uh, this is often a good way that people get involved with that level of diversification. You know, the interest rates are really high right now. People might not be finding properties uh, that fit their buy box and allow them a good return in the near future, and they might not be patient enough to wait many, many years down the line. Private lending could bridge that gap. Okay. You know, you are locking your money up for, you know, a finite period of time, but if you do it with the right people who have vetted the uh, property developers and the builders uh, that they work with and the different asset classes that they work with, uh, then you might have a great way to round out your portfolio. So, Give this a listen, learn a little bit about private lending, uh, and we hope you enjoy this quick take. Who should be considering investing money um, in this area? And maybe contrast that with who sh really shouldn't be investing right. money with organizations like yours. Well, I think historically in the past, um, these types of investments have been really more focused and and available to high net worth individuals. Um, for anybody that knows real estate funds and real estate investments, the secu securities and exchange looks at them as high risk. Um, I disagree with that. Um, I mean, I don't know that you can get much more secure than having a piece of real estate backing your investment. You know, you go invest in a company through the stock market and that company goes sideways and they go bankrupt, you have nothing. You invest in something that's real estate backed. It's not to say that there isn't risk and that there isn't, you know, the possibility of that investment not paying. But what you can rely on is there is a piece of real estate that's backing that investment and you can ride out markets. There's a lot of ability to pivot with those types of investments when markets are shifting like we're we're experiencing right now. So um, to answer your question, I don't know that there's anybody it's not uh, a good idea for. Um, and what I can say is we have real estate funds and we'll get a, a little more into this here um, in a little bit, but we now have the opportunity for people to invest in a real estate fund that is not an accredited investor. So the SEC defines anybody that's accredited as somebody that has a million dollars in assets exceeding their primary residence, or they have annual income of $200,000 a year as an individual for the past two consecutive years or 300 as a married couple. So for a long time, like I said, these funds were only open to these types of people. Um, now we have the ability through the Securities and Exchange and the Jobs Act change some of these laws that we opened up a Regulation A plus fund and we have a minimum investment of $1,000. So what I tell people is, I don't know that this investment is not good for anybody, but what you need to do is you need to not be investing dollars you're trying to live off of either. You know, um, the guy that only has disposable income of $1,000 shouldn't be putting his 
you know, last thousand dollars into our fund relying on earnings from that. We have a great track record, but it's not any different than any other investment. There's risk. There may be the possibility that you may not get an earnings statement. So I think you have to look at your own financial situation. And I think it's more identified as how much should you be investing? I'm not here to tell everybody to put all their eggs in our basket. And I wouldn't tell someone to go put all their money in the stock market either. I think people need to be smart. They need to diversify. And we work with a lot of clients that, um, and we're part of a, a mastermind with high net worth dentists, and they look at it as quadrants, right? If you're looking at your investments, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, most of the time you're going to have some investments that you want to create cash flow. Some of your investments are more growth minded where you're not relying on those earnings every month or every quarter, but you want to grow those accounts, especially with like self-directed IRAs. So I think the investment is good for everybody, and but I think you need to identify what kind of dollars you're trying to deploy. Is it cash? Is it you know, accounts that are um, what we would consider qualified, like IRAs, 401ks, you know, what is your, what is your strategy, growth or cash flow? Um, how risk adverse are you? You know, like I said, I don't want people putting their last dollar with us. Um, and then you need to look at some other things like geographically, you know, are your investments specific as far as where the location of the investment and asset is, or are you more rate driven? Are you trying to hit that 10%? So, I think people, and I tell people, write these, you know, one to five things down before you really start diving into this so that you can, you don't have analysis paralysis, right? If you don't have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish and what that looks like, you're going to, you could talk to a hundred of us fund operators and you're never going to be able to make a decision. So I think it's just really specific to the individual investor. Um, I don't know that it's as black and white as who should and who shouldn't, but it's really dependent upon their situation financially and what they're trying to accomplish. It's interesting that you mentioned that there are non-accredited options for non-accredited investors as well, which mm -hmm. suggests to me that you're working, you know, with that thousand dollar minimum, you're working with some clients probably a little earlier in their lives. Uh, maybe they don't have as much capital to deploy. Maybe they're homeowners, you know, unto themselves. Maybe they have one rental property or they're looking to diversify, like you mentioned. Right. You know, I just think back to you know, growing up, like there was the newspaper that listed all the stock prices and then suddenly CNBC started showing the ticker all the time. And, you know, we fast forward to today where we're on our phones and we can day trade, you know, at a, yeah. at a tap of a tap of a screen. And, and this is very different from that type of investing because, you know, you're committing capital to an investment for a set period of time. It's not the kind of thing that you can day trade in and out of. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, our fund actually has a, a fairly short, what we call a tie-up period. Um, and and tie-up periods are really essentially how long you have to stay invested in it. Um, because in my opinion, our investments are more long-term. Like you said, you're not, it's not a savings account where you're pulling money in and out. You're not day trading. Um, but our tie-up period is 12 months, which is actually fairly short for a real estate fund. Most funds are what they call syndications, where you're investing in an entity and that entity owns maybe a self-storage unit or an apartment complex. Those are typically four to five-year tie-ups. So 12 months in the, in the fund industry is pretty short, but it's also something to be mindful of so that people aren't calling me in 90 days, hey, I had a but we had an emergency in our family, I need access to my capital. It is a 12 month tie up period and then they can start to divest out of the fund. But still like a year is, is fairly short in right. the grant scheme of things. What would you say is the profile of the accredited investor? Like 
you know, is this a, someone in their mid forties, mid fifties? Like who, who is that person? Yeah. And I ask that as in a leading way, because I almost see the non-accredited investor option that you're, that you have mm -hmm. as almost like that free checking account for a bank or credit union. Like it gets them in early or, or right. a forced 401k, uh, you know, you sign up for a new job, 2% of your money goes there. You have to opt out of it as a way of getting them thinking about doing this investment. And then it just, you, it kind of scales from there. So yeah. go to my, my question, you know, what is that typical accredited investor like? And then how does that contrast with some of the people that are coming in on the lower level? Yeah, so I would say, uh, uh, you know, our typical accredited investor profile is typically, um, I would say, average age is probably 45 to 50 and if not older um, a lot of our clients are um, dentists and doctors and physical therapists and chiropractors or business owners they're people that own their own company um, or ex-real estate investors you know that have in the past owned owned rentals and fixed and flipping and, and have built up this amount of capital and now they don't want to deal with tenants and toilets and contractors but they still are you know it's almost like a you get addicted to the real estate side of things, right? They still like real estate as an asset, but they don't want to be boots on the ground dealing with it. And then your more professional people like the dentists and doctors, they come into a large amount of capital, especially dentists. You know, they will typically sell their practice, which most of the time they own the building. So now they've got a building that they're selling. They're looking for like a 1031 exchange. Um, they've got this mass amount of capital because they've sold their practice, but now they're trying to replace their income you know, and so they're trying to continue living the lifestyle that they've come accustomed to. And they understand real estate for the most part and, you know, are becoming a lot more educated. There's all these mastermind groups, you know, that are educating high net worth individuals about the opportunities in real estate, you know, and they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm tired of my financial advisor telling me what to do and to write out these you know, waves through the stock market and, you know, they're starting to look at other options. So, you know, most of the time our accredited investors are one of two things. They're either trying to replace their income, you know, because they've retired or sold their businesses or practices, or they're really growth minded where they've just got this large amount of capital. Um, a lot of them have become very sophisticated of opening up solo 401ks through self-directed custodians. They've got very large IRAs that they've you know, tuck this capital away in. And now they're putting that money to work to grow those accounts even bigger, you know, than they originally started with. And, you know, in comparison to our, and I don't like to even say unaccredited investors, but I, I you know, our other fund is just open to the general public. We have accredited investors in that fund that don't want to prove that they're accredited. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like that kind of has a negative connotation, but those clients are younger, you know, they're, they're, they're like my fireman son, you know, they're 24, they started watching podcasts and webinars, and they're educating themselves about these things. Or they're people that had like old 401ks from five employers ago that said, God, I never, I never did anything with that. And it's like, move that account over to a self-directed custodian and get it working for you. So I just think the demographics of those two types of clients are are very different. I would say the the younger, you know, people that are in our other fund are also probably more risk adverse too. You know, they're they're at an age where they can take some risk on, you know, rather than the guy that's 50 that's, you know, wanting to just get that money working for him. So, yeah, just very different and, you know, like I said, we for a long time only had an accredited investor fund and so when 
all this stuff changed about four years ago. Rory probably knows about this being an attorney is we jumped all over it. Um, opening a regulation A plus fund is not an easy task, nor is it cheap, but we felt like we were doing a disservice to clients that didn't qualify as an accredited investor. It's like, why shouldn't everybody be able to take advantage of an opportunity like this? All right. There's another quick take with the Real Estate Law Podcast. For the full episode, go to YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you heard or listened to that quick take. We also have all of our episodes posted at realestatelawpodcast.com. So on behalf of Rory Gill, I'm Jason Muth, one of your hosts, and we thank you for listening. <music>